And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son to your Jacob, and meet Ahaz in the end of aqueduct of the upper pole on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah, Aram and Ephraim and Remaliah's sons have plotted your room, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it amongst ourselves, and make the son of Tabal king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place, it will not happen, for the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord said, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. There was a gender reveal party last year that went horribly wrong. It made headlines. Maybe you uh, caught wind of this. The couple had gathered with their friends and family, of course, to celebrate the big reveal, and they had chosen a smoke bomb as the uh, mechanism to reveal, but they ended up starting a forest fire. The El Dorado fire, this was in Southern California, raged for two months. It burned over 22,000 acres. It burned down four houses and 12 other buildings. So the couple, the, the expecting parents, stood trial in July of this year and were actually, they pled not guilty, but they were charged with over 30 criminal activities. Now, Rachel and I have never uh, had a gender reveal party. We've never had a gender reveal moment other than, what is it, Doc? <laughs> but my uh, heart goes out to these people who were so excited for a little one, and then it just all went terribly, terribly wrong. They, they were so excited to see the pink or see the blue. You know, they were just excited about the baby that they were eagerly expecting. But, you know, long before any gender reveal party took place, the Lord said, 700 years from now, It'll be a boy. We see this prophecy in the scriptures. It's a boy. You'll give birth to a son. And so today we are celebrating that the birth of Christ means God has entered into our world as Emmanuel, God with us. He, he's with us. What good news. God is with us even at our lowest point. God is with us even in our times of pain. God is comforting us. He is with us in those agonizing times of waiting and wondering and hoping. When you're anxious about what lies ahead and what the future holds, he is with us. He gives us great courage. And so, it's this time of year that there are signs everywhere. You can't go anywhere without noticing the signs of Christmas. Something special happened when Christ was born. Uh, the, the signs of Christmas are all around us. I thought I would share a few of the, the favorites that I have seen. Dear Santa, I've been good all year. Okay, most of the time. Uh, once in a while, forget it. I'll just buy my own stuff. <laughs> or, 
Making a Christmas wish won't get your car back. No parking tow-away zone. Friends don't give friends fruitcake. Or to anyone who's Christmas shopping for me, I wear a size 4. Door Jeep Wrangler. <laughs> or this, this last one is actually my personal favorite. Christmas calories don't count. So we are in our Christmas series, friends. We're glad that you're with us this morning. We're calling this series The Gospel According to Isaiah. The last two weeks, we looked at prophecies from chapter 9 where uh, the Messiah, that is Jesus, would be the light of the world and the Prince of Peace. And this morning, we're going to be unpacking this incredible prophecy. We heard it a moment ago from Isaiah chapter 7 that Jesus is Emmanuel. So if we key in on verse 14, we see that, that it's very clear. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That's just what we're going to talk about this morning. So I'm thrilled that you're with us today. I pray that through our time together, your heart grows stronger and your faith grows deeper. My name is John. I'm just privileged to serve as lead pastor here at MCA. So this tremendous book of prophecy, this book of Isaiah, where we're really spending this month, is filled with predictions and prophecies and information about the coming one, the Messiah. In fact, it's been called the fifth gospel. Isn't that neat? It's been called the fifth gospel. It contains so much good news. In fact, Isaiah is quoted the most in the New Testament with the exception of the book of Psalms. Isaiah is the most quoted. Now, next Sunday for our Christmas service, I hope you'll make plans to be here. In fact, it'll be a great Sunday to invite a friend to come and join us. We're going to be in another prophecy from Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to see that Jesus is the savior of the world. The newborn babe came as savior. So it's going to be a great weekend, and we're looking forward to that next week. But uh, to get us all up to speed, Isaiah, this, this prophet of God, he was in the southern kingdom of Judah, and boy, he was just serving God at a really difficult time. He had a a great task. There were enemies on all sides for God's people. They were terrified of their brothers in the north, that is the ten tribes who were uh, Israel, and they had become allies with really the vilest of nations. And so these people in Judah, where Isaiah was serving and ministering and prophesying, they were living in dark times. And they were frightened and they were scared. They were people living in darkness. They were gripped by fear. And yet... This is part of what's so amazing contextually about Isaiah. Here arises this man that God had appointed, and he proclaims hope. Like he, he dared to believe that something better is going to come. And what a great word for you and I today. That even when the culture around you is corrupt, like even when everything seems meaningless and empty, We keep trusting, we keep believing that God has a plan that God will make a way, that God is going to carry out his extraordinary mission among us. So I'm encouraged as I study these prophecies and excited about the word for today, this this good news that Jesus is Emmanuel. Well, I want to start actually in Isaiah 64, because in verse 1, we see this, we, we hear Isaiah, and he's just longing for the Lord to somehow come down into the world and help make sense of all the nonsense. Like, like God, could you come down here because we need some peace uh, amidst all of our problems? 
We need to dispel the darkness that is so prevalent. We need to be rescued from the evil that is around us. And so in Isaiah 64 and verse 1, he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. This is the longing of Isaiah's heart, that God would come down, that God would come near, that God would enter into the difficulty and the brokenness. And then, of course, in Isaiah chapter 6, that's really, and we don't have time this morning, but that's really where we see his call to ministry. We see this man who's, he's called as a prophet. He really just comes face to face with the holiness of God. And he admits his own misery, and he calls on God's mercy. And then finally, he says yes, yes to the Lord and his plan. Here am I, Isaiah says to the Lord. Here am I, send me. Now, what's interesting, so we're keying in on um, some verses in chapter 7 today in the book of Isaiah. What's interesting is between his call in chapter 6 and then the start of these stories happening in chapter 7, there's about 15 or 20 years that pass. But in chapter 7, then, we are introduced to an evil king whose name is Ahaz. He was, as we study the, the stories and the lineage in Judah, he was the 12th king of Judah, and he was most certainly the most ungodly king to date. He built a pagan altar in the sacred space, a pagan altar in the temple area. He sacrificed his own children to the pagan god Molech. So we have other prophets who are, who are uh, trying to get through to this evil king Ahaz, Micah and Hosea. They're both calling Ahaz to repentance to no avail. And because he deliberately and really horrifically disobeyed God, he had great trouble. And so the enemies, as we've said, are just pressing in from every side. His kingdom is under duress. It's under attack. So turn there. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7. With all of this impending uh, struggle and enemies looming and people trying to get him, he freaks out. So we see in verse 7, this evil king Ahaz, and he begins to panic. It says, Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. The hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So this nation of Aram, well, we call it Aram Damascus, right? But it's Aram. It's, it's up in the north. It's just east of Galilee. I think I showed a map recently showing where Judah and Samaria, that is Israel, and, and Galilee were. So this is a nation that's just east of the region of Galilee. Aram, or Aram Damascus. Uh, it gets a, a little confusing because the, that nation is also known as Syria, not to be confused with Assyria, which is north of them. Um, you may remember from our study in Elijah and Elisha, the great Naaman. He was the leader or the commander of the Aramean army. He was a Syrian. So he was from this nation of Aram, Damascus. And so here's the news that has reached Ahaz, who's king of Judah. It's that Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. And Ephraim, of course, is uh, another word for Israel, those 10 tribes, the northern tribes of, of Israel. So are you following me here? Isaiah told Ahaz that Aram was allied with Ephraim. <laughs> Try to say that three times fast. <laughs> uh, let, let's put it this way. It's really bad news. And the king is shaking in his shoes. <laughs> This king is terrified. This evil king, he has not followed in God's ways. He has not obeyed Yahweh, the one true God. He's done evil. 
and now he's afraid. He's under attack. But Isaiah is told to bring comfort. Isaiah is, is given a message of hope. And so, as we heard in the verses um, just a moment ago, he's, he's told he's supposed to bring his son to the aqueduct at the upper pool. Now, interestingly, I think one fascinating part of this is if we do a study of the names of both Isaiah and his son. Isaiah means salvation of the Lord. And his son, his son's name means a remnant will return. And I think it's interesting that, that his son was called to be a part of that, come and meet with them. And I think really the message is fairly clear to Ahaz. Like, let Yahweh be your salvation. That's the, the uh, definition of Isaiah's name. Yeah, let Yahweh be your salvation. And then a remnant will return. That's the definition of his son's name. And so the Lord brings a message very clearly and directly through the prophet to Ahaz. We're in Isaiah chapter 7, if we look at verse 4. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two. And again, the two he's referencing would be Syria or Aram and Israel or Ephraim, the ten tribes in the north. Don't lose heart because of these two. This is so interesting, isn't it? It just jumped out to me as I was studying this, and I'm teaching from the NIV. You might have a different translation that words it differently, but it's keep calm. This is like the original, keep calm and carry on. You know, I wonder if Isaiah even got him the T-shirt. <laughs> The, the, the Lord tells him, like, these enemies are not going to be successful in overthrowing you. So the thing that's causing you fear and anxiety and you're just quaking, like, you don't need to be afraid. Keep calm and carry on. But, like, you have an opportunity to be the king of God's people and lead them in a godly direction. And these enemies that are pressing in, they're not even going to bother you. They're not going to be successful in what they're trying to do, right? And then this is where we see that prophecy. I think I mentioned this a week or two ago, but we see the prophecy that the Lord says that within 65 years, they're going to be overtaken. They're going to be overthrown. It's going to be Israel, not Judah, who is conquered at this point, right? So that's verse 8b. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. But then Isaiah points out in verse 9, like there's this word of hope. Don't be afraid. Keep calm. Carry on. Isaiah points out to Ahaz in verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Wow. And really, this is a, there, there's something really, it's a gem. This is like a, this is like a Hebrew pun, it's almost like we could, we could come up with a, a number of different ways of, of translating this. Like, if there's no belief, you'll find no relief. But, you, but if you don't stand firm in your faith, he says, you're not going to stand at all. Like, you are also going to be conquered and overtaken. But now is a time where you put your trust in the Lord. And so that's exactly the counsel that Isaiah brings to Ahaz. It is trust in God. You can trust in him. You can trust in his promises. He will protect you. He will fight for you. Put your trust in Yahweh, the one true God. You don't have to put your trust in any military might. You don't have to be like your brothers in the north, Israel, who are teaming up with other powerful nations to accomplish their mission. You don't have to trust in foreign allies. Trust in God. And then Isaiah goes so far. This is such an interesting passage. He goes so far as to tell 
Ahaz this prophecy and give him this encouragement. And then in verse 10, he tells him, just ask God for a sign. Ask God for a sign that you will know that this prophecy is true. God will confirm that this prophecy is true. Ahaz refuses. He says he's not going to test God. Well, listen, this is just very clearly false piety on his part. Oh, oh, pious Ahaz. We know your track record. We know the detestable things that you have done in the face of your God. And now all of a sudden, oh, I'm not going to test God, even though God wants him to ask for the sign. The prophet Isaiah has said to him, ask God for a sign. He will give you a sign. Ahaz now says he's refusing. I'm not going to test God. The truth is he didn't want to submit to God. He he didn't want to recognize that God is truly in charge. Now, we don't have time this morning, but make note, you can read the stories of Ahaz in 2 Kings chapter 16. That would be a good read for you today or this week. You'll hear all the details of Ahaz and how he then takes the gold. He, go, he goes into the treasury, like the, and these are sacred things. These, of course, be, these belong to the temple. He goes into the temple treasury. He takes the gold and the valuables, and he gives it to Assyria. So again, don't be confused. Israel had allied itself with Syria or Aram. He goes to really the biggest superpower of the day, Assyria. That's where the Ninevites were. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And he gives them gold, and he then adopts their worship practices. And he's, what he's doing is he paid the Assyrians to protect him. Hey, we're in trouble. These people are going to beat us up. They're going to attack us. So I want to pay you so that you would protect. Instead of obeying God, instead of repenting of his ways and doing what was right, he continues to deliberately disobey and essentially spit in the face of God. And then I love the response of the prophet Isaiah. We get quite a bit of passion from him. Verse 13, we're in Isaiah chapter 7. This really lights him up. This lights his fire. Hear now, you house of David. I imagine he shouts this. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? And so what Isaiah then does is he says to Ahaz, fine, whether you're going to ask for a sign to confirm that these things are true or not, because I can see your false piety, God is going to give you a sign. And that's when we get to verse 14. This is a verse that we're all familiar with. He says, whether you ask for it or not, God's going to give you a sign. And here's the sign. It's the birth of a child. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive. And give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. Now, as we read this verse today, we recognize and see very clearly, oh, that is a prediction of over 700 years later when Jesus was born. Like, like this, is, this is looking ahead to an ultimate fulfillment when a son would be born of the virgin in Bethlehem, the town of David. Incidentally, I found that in some medieval works of art, Mary is reading Isaiah 7.14 at the moment the angel comes to announce the pregnancy. What's interesting is, in these following verses in Isaiah chapter 7, it also sounds like there's going to be a fulfillment of this prophecy during the lifetime of Ahaz. In other words, 
this sign that was, that was given to the evil king Ahaz. These things are going to come true, whether you submit to the authority of God or not. It's a prediction about our Lord Jesus, but, but it, it sure sounds like there's also a prophecy that's going to take place during Ahaz's lifetime. In, in other words, there are sort of two fulfillments of this passage. One that's near or partial, and another that is far and complete. So here's another way of understanding this. Like in the classic Sesame Street episode where Grover, you know, our friendly uh, blue creature or monster, and he's teaching the kids the difference between near and far, right? He begins real close to the camera saying, near. And then he like runs away and he's yelling, far. Like he has helped these children learn this basic orientation of near and far, but he has also clued us in on how to read prophecy. That is, that prophecies often have a fulfillment that applies directly and immediately to their hearers, a near fulfillment, which is often partial, and a far fulfillment, which is oftentimes complete. Now, theologian Garrett Kell says that this is the case in Isaiah chapter 7. Now, we're not entirely sure, so f- full transparency here. Um, there are a number of good options for us, but we're not entirely sure what that near fulfillment of this prophecy is. It seems to me, or one, one possible or good understanding would be that it is Isaiah's son, whose name was Maher Shalal Hashbaz, that he and his birth was a sign of God's faithful presence. And again, we don't have time this morning, but if you continue reading this story into the next chapter, Isaiah chapter 8, you basically hear about the birth of this child that was a sign, and Emmanuel is mentioned two more times. Uh, And by the way, if you do a study of Emmanuel, you're only going to see it in Isaiah 7 and 8 also, and then again when it's quoted in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1. Those are the only places where you will actually find Emmanuel in the scriptures. A fascinating study, an even more fascinating prophecy about the Messiah, the one that is coming, Emmanuel, God with us. So why does any of this matter when we're talking about the Christmas story? Well, it matters because we can trust God's promises. Like this is, this is an amazing story about an evil king who was faced with basically two options. You can listen to Isaiah, the prophet of God, and say, I'm going to keep calm and carry on. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to say, yeah, give, give me a sign, God. Confirm that what you've said is going to happen will happen, that you will protect us, that you will be our God. Or I can cling to that which I can feel and touch and see. I can go into our treasury and just basically raid it and ship it off to the northern kingdom of Assyria and pay tribute to them because they would protect us. They would keep us safe. Guys, we can trust God's promises. What God promised and prophesied about the coming Messiah is at the top of the list, right? That that Jesus, our Emmanuel, came. that, That he was a sign to the world that God has not forsaken his people. That God has kept his promises just as he always does. See, if Ahaz had waited, if Ahaz had trusted in God, if he had had faith, 
that all of the pressure that was mounting in his life and in their kingdom, all of the threat, all of the onslaught from the other nations around, it would have passed and he would have been at peace. But that's not the route he chose. He chose to ally himself and encumber his people to a pagan nation, and it did not go well. It, it got worse for the people of Judah and for Ahaz because of his decision. We can trust God's promises. And in this season, it's just such a joy and it's a delight for us to reflect on and meditate on and, and embrace the fact that Jesus is God's sign to the world promising that we can escape the coming judgment, that, that we inherit salvation when we put our trust in him, that the good news of the gospel is we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've made mistakes. We've messed up. We've separated ourselves from a holy and loving God. The scripture teach us the wages of sin is death. So we are deserving of an eternity apart from him. Now, what's interesting is that even throughout the Old Testament, the, the people were taught, the people were informed, they were told about sin had to be paid for. Right? It, the, there had to be a flawless sacrifice. You, you had to bring the spotless lamb. You had to bring the unblemished animal sacrifice. Everyone knew that they had to shed the blood of the animal in order to pay the price for their sin. But the shed blood of animals couldn't really, truly, ultimately fix the problem, right? What, what was needed was that perfect someone, that Messiah, the anointed one, the Lamb of God, who would willingly lay down his life, who would take upon himself our sins, who would die in our place. But see, no mortal, no human could be found that was sinless enough to die in our place. Only God could be perfect and sinless and be pure enough to, to be the sacrifice, but by definition, an immortal God can't die. So you see that as you think about this, you kind of start to spiral into, wait a minute, how can this all even work out? God can't be our sacrifice because he would have to die and God can't die. Wait, God would have to somehow be made as a human and have all the attributes of humanity while at the same time possessing divinity. And so that's why God's perfect plan of salvation was that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, who was sinless, who was perfect, the, one, the only one who could pay the penalty for our sins. And so that's why this sign is mentioned in Isaiah, that the virgin is going to conceive and give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Emmanuel. That is, the immortal, invisible, and holy God taking on human flesh. It's in that one word of Emmanuel that God declares, I have come to you. I have made a way through Jesus. And then the New Testament teaching, of course, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the good news of Christmas. That is the truth of Emmanuel, God taking on human flesh and entering into our world and our predicament. Why? Because we can trust God's promises. Another reason that this story from Isaiah chapter 7 matters is because Jesus draws near to all who call on him. 
He draws near. As I said, Ahaz decided, okay, how am I going to beat Israel and Aram? Well, I'm going to team up with the biggest one of all, Assyria. Going to give them our gold. I'm going to pay homage to their gods. I'm going to tell all of my people, we've got to pay tribute. We've got to give honor where it's due to the Assyrians. I'm going to call on the enemy for help when the one true God stands ready and waiting to help me. And I just wonder if some of us are in the exact same situation where almighty God who draws near to those who call on him says, call on me, child, and I will help you. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you're not going to stand at all. And yet we go back to our same devices or we call on those things that we can see and feel and hear and smell. Surely these will help me. Surely these will save me. But it's only God who is powerful. It is only he who can do something about our situation. Yes, Jesus draws near to those who call on him. So it's amazing to think about the, the incarnate God, Jesus, that, that in so many ways he was just like us. And yet he was nothing like us. That, that he walked among us and yet he had come from God above. That he is our friend and yet he's also our savior. That little children loved him and spent time with him and yet he baffles the greatest minds. That he's somehow at once the son of Mary and the son of God. So every year at Christmas time, people all over the globe celebrate lights and parties and gifts and festivities, and it's all because of Christ. The moniker we chose for our Christmas card this year is Christmas begins with Christ. <laughs> Christmas begins with Christ. It must be about Christ. The focus has to be on Christ. That he is Emmanuel, God with us. That God sent his son into a broken world. Why? To draw near to those who call on him. Here's what James 4, 8 tells us. It says, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. And so, friends, as we celebrate the birth of Christ this year. That we celebrate God becoming human. Jesus Born in a manger, born in Bethlehem. And so if we go to that passage in Matthew chapter 1, where the angel says, she's going to give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. It says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then we get the quote from Isaiah 7, 14, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's so fascinating. That's in Matthew chapter one. So in the gospel of Matthew, he, he begins his narrative with this sign of the coming Emmanuel, God with us. But then at the end of his book, in Matthew chapter 28, at the end of the life of Jesus, we see another confirming sign, which is the resurrection. And then he concludes the gospel with the promise of Jesus, our Emmanuel. Surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age. See, that is God with us. Always. The one who is God with us will always always be with us. Jesus left his home in heaven. He took up residence on earth, born as a baby. 
born of a virgin, just as the prophecy foretold. Why? Because of God's great love for us. And now, and forevermore, God is with us to take care of us, no matter what we go through. So I want you to be encouraged this morning. When the enemy attacks, he is with you. When COVID strikes, he is with you. When money is tight, he is with you. When your loved one dies, he is with you. When you are afraid, he is with you. When you're unsure about what's coming up, he is with you. He knows what's coming. And he says, stand firm in your faith or else you won't stand at all. Don't make the same mistake that Ahaz made. We don't have to be afraid. Since, since God is Emmanuel and he is drawn near to us, we don't have to be afraid. Look at Psalm 46. That God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. So our celebration at Christmas time is a celebration of a God who draws near to all who call on him. Now, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come to the front and be available this morning as we dismiss and conclude our service. Come. Come with your burdens. Come with your fears. Come with those things that you're struggling with. We would love to minister to you. Pray with you. Go before God's great throne of grace and lift you up. He is a God who draws near to all who call on him. He's with us even at our lowest point. He's with us through the pain. He comforts us. Even in those times of waiting and uncertainty, when we're anxious about our future, he gives us courage. God has entered into our feeble existence in order to bring peace to a chaotic world, peace to chaotic hearts, reaching into our mess. Because he is Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, our Heavenly Father, the one who loves us unconditionally, the one who has made a way back to himself through his Son, the foretold and promised and prophesied Messiah, the Anointed One. Thank you. Lord, we choose today to draw near to you. Lord, would you help us? Would you help our unbelief? Would you help us where we falter in our faith, where we struggle to trust you, where we don't want to be like Ahaz? And so, Lord, would you even confirm that what you've said is true, that we can see in the person and the life and the ministry and the sacrificial and substitutionary death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus that he fulfilled all those prophecies, hundreds of prophecies. That, God, you are good for your word, that your promises are true. And so today, God, we trust you. We thank you for this amazing, wonderful season of Christmas where all over the globe we see people celebrating. Why? Because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, today, we thank you that your favor rests on us because of the shed blood that's been poured out so freely. We thank you, we bless you, and we pray only in the mighty and matchless name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.